listening to Drinks with the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And recently, Chris, Annie, and I attended Dragon Con 2014 over Labor Day weekend in Atlanta. And I was a panelist for the Lost Girl fan panel at the convention. We have a recording of that panel for you. Thank you very much to Kevin Batchelder of Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV Family of Podcasts for recording the panel and letting us use his recording. He's turned out way better than mine. And then Sabrina, who is Sabrinushka on Twitter, she actually did a video recording of the panel, and I will put a link to that over in the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash dragoncon2014 if you would prefer to watch instead of just listen. Be on the lookout for a more thorough discussion of all of the Lost Girl events at DragonCon 2014 here in the next week, and I hope you enjoy listening to the fan panel. Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to have each of our panelists introduce themselves to you, tell you about their interest in the show, and uh, we'll start right here on my left with the trivia expert. She talks me up, and I'm going to disappoint y'all. <laughs> no, she really does Hi, I'm right. Stephanie Beaver. I am a, a one of the co-hosts for the Lost Girl podcast, Drinks of the Doll. And um, what was I? What else was I supposed to say? Um, <laughs> well, just you don't have to say anything else if you don't want to. But did you start? I'm just curious if everybody can address this when it comes around. Did you start watching the show as soon as it started airing on Sci-Fi, or did you? Catch up I, to it after it was already on a little bit. Neither. Bit. I watched it before it oh, was on sci-fi. Okay. Um, because, and I did not do this illegally, but I read an article about it, and I thought, this is the show for me. It sounds like Buffy, but for adults. <laughs> and so I actually oh, no. ordered <laughs> I actually ordered the first season from Amazon Canada, which I didn't know you could do, but you can totally do. Uh, so my first season DVD looks everybody, different from, like, everybody else's, and I'm always surprised. I'm like, why does yours look that way? But mine's Canadian, therefore cooler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Kevin Batchelder. I'm one of the hosts of a podcast uh, called Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. We cover lots of genre shows. I also do a Lost Girl-specific podcast called The Fay Files, a watch-along podcast. I've been uh, very blessed to be on the uh, Lost Girl fan panels uh, last year, and actually the first one that was done in 2012 over in American Sci-Fi and Fantasy Media. Was anybody at that one? Awesome. All right. Very cool. So, yeah, I've been a fan since when the first episode aired. I totally was hooked. Well, hi, I'm Sally Heaven. I'm one of the authors of the blog that's called WeAreUnaligned.com. And uh, so I started watching Lost Girl in... 2013 after it was already on for it was in the middle of season three and the way I started watching it is I was I thought I was very busy and I didn't have any time to get into a new TV show but then there was another TV show where there was you know some like implied subtext between two of the female characters so I watched and I was like holding out hope of course they're gonna get together this would be a great ending so I said to my wife one day are they ever gonna get together and she said no they're not and I was like okay she said, but you should watch this show. There actually is a real relationship on it. And I was like, I do not have time to watch any more TV than I'm currently watching. Do not speak to me of one more show. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can't you see how busy I am? But then um, I took some maternity leave because we had our third child. Oh, so I was at home. Thank you. I was at home with our youngest child, and I had uh, a lot of time on my hands. I started watching Lost Girl on Netflix. And I was like, whoa, this show is awesome. Like, and it's not just awesome because of, you know, all the relationships, but I love the whole show and the characters and the people. And then it took over my life. So I, who thought I had no time <laughs> to watch any TV shows, um, just kind of jumped into the fandom. And so I stopped watching all other TV except for shows that are made and air in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Jean Marie Ward. I write fiction, nonfiction, and everything in between. And I'm going to give a brief plug here for the one book I've got at the convention. It's called Athena's Daughters. And the only reason I'm plugging it, it's an anthology, is because it is by strong women about strong women. And you can find it in the Artist Alley. That's where the comics are at the Mark Dos Santos and Autumn Fredrickson booth. And 
This ties in actually with why I watch Lost Girl and why I love it. Um, the I, I'm always trolling for new TV shows because basically I write about six hours a day or I edit and my brain is mush. And then I want to watch something that's sort of kind of in my genre, but, you know, uh, something that's pleasant. Something that, if it jumps the shark, it jumps it in a cool way. And I was really interested when I first heard about Lost Girl because the promos implied there was going to be a lot of folklore and mythology taken into a twist, which I thought was pretty cool. They've actually put this on a TV show, and it's not stupid like the Amazing Johnsons. And so, oh, do not get me started. We won't get onto that. No, 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 you don't want to get me started on that. But basically, I knew I was going to like Lost Girl in the first episode when I realized it's about female friendship. How many times do you see that on TV? Because the core, the first core relationship in this is between Bo and Kenzie. And then from there, you get a heroine who is strong, who is not always right, who is not mommy, and yet she is not slut-shamed, and, oh, she's bi. It's cool. Everybody's cool with that. And it was like, what a good model for the universe. You know, you've got this diverse universe with this cast of characters that cover every spectrum, and they are all cool within the show. And how many TV shows do you have that have that kind of casting, that kind of diversity, and that kind of positive image for everyone? And I have to follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name is Erica Annabelle Pratt. Um, I do a few things, and uh, one of the things I do, um, or am, as an actor, um, so uh, as an urban fantasy lover and an actor, that's sort of, I want to combine those, and I often come from um, that aspect as far as, uh, you know, the production and acting and all of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and I want wine, and you have it. <laughs> <laughs> have a sip, yeah. Yeah, we're all casting to cover the size of that glass of wine right about now. And I actually wouldn't do that, because then y'all would just kick me out. <laughs> maybe, maybe she's saying nonsense, or somebody wake that woman up. You know, In any case, um, one of the things that struck me about season four was that you're, you're seeing all these new alliances and new allegiances being built between the characters. Some were find, some relationships we find out about the first time. Everybody, everybody like Emmanuel's uh, outfit today? Wasn't she hilarious? <laughs> well, she when she walked in backstage, and it was like, oh, yeah, that's who that is. But, yeah, yeah you could tell it was her face, but I'm just saying. Her pink hair was a little different. But, you know, we find out a little more about her, but we also we find out that... You know what I'm saying. We're just we're finding out so many different things about the characters. We're seeing an actual, real friendship develop between um, Dyson and Lauren, actually, which was kind of a surprise. And they're, they're in one episode, which <laughs> Stephanie could probably tell me which actual number it is, that he says he, he doesn't um, really hate her anymore. Or he, I haven't hated you for a while. And I actually have it in my notes, but I wouldn't be able to look it up fast enough as fast as she could tell you. Anyway, um, so I kind of like to get you guys' take on that, on that idea of the new, of all these new alliances and allegiances being, being built, and how did you, how, how did you interpret that in, in terms of what it means for the show? Do we, you better pick somebody yeah. to start. Kevin, <laughs> why don't you start? Anybody can start. You know, it's eight thirty on Saturday. Okay. All right. Um, well, aside some 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 season four storylines aside for the moment, the character relationships. Yes, it was nice to see some things that we've been waiting to see. Certainly, that is something that I've been waiting several seasons to see. Um, it was nice to see uh, some more of that start to develop. Although it was. You know, season four was herky-jerky in, in the way things kind of worked, I thought. But 
that is a perfect example of something that I, I enjoyed from the season four. Um, it was disappointing, obviously, no disrespect to Anna, but the fact our lead was missing kind of threw things off early in the season, uh-huh. I thought. Um, it was nice to see Kenzie and Dyson and Hale certainly very early in that season, too, uh, on, on uh, a lot more screen time together. I thought that was nice. I missed some of the Kenzie bow time, uh-huh. you know, as crazy a Kenzie fan as I am. So, you know, it was nice to see some of that. And the show, once it gets into its fourth season, you either fall into that trap of same old, same old, or at least they were trying. So I had to give them a lot of credit for that. One of the things that um, kind of surprised me, and I don't know if it qualifies as under the sense of new relationships, but was how Vex in the early days was so evil. Okay? And suddenly, he's the cuddly comic sidekick. <laughs> and that one just sort of went, whoa. I mean, I, was, I knew Trick was hiding. He had to from... From a plot mechanic standpoint, he had to be hiding more than he was telling about. Um, I've known a lot of guys who have come to terms with the new lover of their exes, you know, whether or not the uh, gender dynamics play into it. So that wasn't as surprising to me. Or, you know, Hale Kenzie or, you know, Lauren suddenly turning out to be uh, the Unabomber's sister. But... Um, <laughs> Well, she had to have some deep, dark secret to send her to Africa for crying out loud. You don't do that for a, for fun and games. Uh, even if you do have a lover you're following, Africa's a bit extreme. Uh, but it was just like, whoa, comic sidekick, okay. Well, I was struck by what Ksenia said at the cast panel today. So most of you guys were at the cast panel, but I'll briefly repeat, because somebody had asked her a question about what was it like for Kenzie's character to go to some really dark places during season four. And so she talked about how, you know, that that was hard and also, but she said that, um, you know, if Kenzie had just stayed the same as she was in season one, that that would have been, you know, not been you know, exciting television to watch, but it also wouldn't have been reflective of how um, a character grows as the result of the experiences they have. So I think that that is true for season four, both of how the, what the characters have all gone through on Lost Girl to this point, because they've been through a lot, but also um, a lot of the relationship dynamics between the characters. I don't know if anybody else was getting a little tired of, you know, the triangle dynamics and you know, the animosity between Mm -hmm. some of the characters. Um, You can only play that so long before it gets just like that. I know, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it a lot, but I also really loved seeing all those relationships kind of shaken up and, um, you know, people kind of developing new friendships and forging new ground because I think we learned a lot about all of the characters as... You know, they got to know each other in different ways. They revealed different parts of themselves to each other and then, by extension, to us, the audience. So, you know, I like that about season four. It was kind of like when you take the boggle box and you shake it up and then you can see some new words. Mm-hmm. Along the same lines, I think, um, I mean, I think it's just very true to being a human that we always, I mean, it's, it's super, uh, it's a... Uh, dramatized, of course, on TV because we're not in an urban fantasy, so <laughs> we don't really form alliances, but, you know, the relationship dynamics and stuff and forming those alliances and new ones and having those change and everything, I think that's very human because that's what we do. We often, um, you know, situations make us change our alliances and uh, emotions and things that happen. We're always changing our, our opinions and feelings about people, even without knowing it, and we just see that um, you know, dramatized and um, hypersensitive on, on Lost Girl. Stephanie? Uh, <clears throat> well, um, you know, I really enjoyed the dynamic mission between Lauren and Dyson evolving. I really loved uh, the storyline that the two of them plus Kenzie got in, in Waves with the Mermaids. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that yeah, was yeah, some that of was my good. favorite TV all season. I just mm-hmm. thought that was fantastic and, and wonderful and really highlighted their like unique personalities and their, their unique pro- approaches to the situation. But as you were asking the question, I was actually thinking of all of these little moments where we see relationships turn kind of 
kind of sour way, a little bit like between, Ken, I feel like, Kenzie and Trick, you know, there's not the same kind of like grandfatherly right, right. love there was any, uh, anymore. And then also at the end when, when um, Kenzie evokes, uh, you know, asks Vex to be his true self and to be evil and to help him, help her kill Massimo after she's sort of been his like moral anchor, right, trying right. to bring him back and be the cuddly you know, funny buddy sidekick. Side mascara friend. Yeah, his yeah. you know, they're mascara buddies. So I think we got we got both this season in, in some interesting ways. Well, and there was something that Kevin said about the fact that, you know, that there was something off. And I and I think when I when I watched the season the first time while it was airing, um, I I kind of felt at the time that, you know, this really does feel off-kilter to me. Something is not quite right. I don't mean the first episode. I thought they actually handled that pretty well in terms of, you know, when you first start watching, you're like, okay, what's going on? You know, um, but then to realize as it progressed about, what, about two-thirds of the way through, they discover, well, we've actually had our minds wiped. Maybe it was sooner than that. But in any case, or their memories wiped, rather. And... But I think that there were a lot of things about the season that were kind of disjointed, and I and I I don't think I don't think it was just because Bo wasn't there in the very beginning, but I do think that it, it was because some of these shifting and changing alliances and allegiances had an impact on how people interacted with each other. And how they, you know, like, who do you call upon to do something? There was one scene in the bar, and of course, Stephanie could wasn't going to tell me which episode this was. When they're, when they're five, when, when Bo and Dyson and Lauren and Kenzie and Hale are all sitting in a bar at the, at the doll, Trick is not in there, but they were upset because Trick had not been helping them. And it was, they, they were like, well, you know, we're all, we, we're the team, you know, we can do anything, we can, we're, we're back together, you know, and, and, I really thought that that was a, a good moment for them to realize that, that if they all worked together, things would be better. And But then they proceeded to, you know, not. Mm-hmm. And some of that was outside forces and some of that was them. But I, I really think that that's why it kind of felt off-kilter to me when I watched it again um, before Dragon Con. I was watching, you know one a day for a couple of weeks, something like that. So I was seeing them more, you know, not having to wait in between, and it made a little more sense how it all fit together. But I really think it was supposed to. I think they were trying to take things and kind of mix it up and then say, okay, you know, it's like taking a puzzle, taking it apart, shaking the pieces up, and then kind of throwing them on the ground and say, hey, go ahead and put it back together in ten seconds. But I think the thing that kind of threw me off, though, and I'd be very curious to get other people's opinions, is any show that's good, as time develops, the relationships change if it's a good show. And we all, let's face it, we all fell in love with the show with a certain vibe early in the first or second seasons. Um, And it's okay if it starts to change. The thing that kind of threw me off this season was the fact that while those relationships were happening, and maybe they weren't always good, I didn't have the typical gang aspect going on in the background. Bo and Rainer were out here, and Bo wasn't around, so I didn't have that center to at least lean back on and see them hanging at the doll or some of that good stuff. It was a little in those other directions without that core there, and for me, that's what really kind of took some of that uh, enjoyment away. What to me was the most... um, It was a weird season in that it was so focused on the interpersonal relationships. You know, we had this series that was sort of kind of supernatural investigation, and, you know, they they go out and try to help people and solve mysteries. But this time, the mystery was all about themselves, and it wasn't about any external mystery that illuminated what was going on about themselves. And I think that, you know, with the exception of the George Takai uh, Takai or Takay? Takay. I never get that right. Takay is okay. Takay is okay. That's a good way of remembering it. I know that Takai means expensive, and that's what he isn't. Um, As Gene Roddenberry uh, made made the point. But uh, the George Takay episode, um, 
was the only one where you were dealing with an outside supernatural threat. You were always dealing with the relationship or the fact that, oh, there's a mystery, Bo's not here, uh, you know, there's a mystery going on and something's wrong. And I, I do think that first episode where their minds were wiped set the tone for the season of the off-kilter. Because, you know, you've got, the mystery is about them, it's not about somebody else. So, my two cents. I kind of have to disagree, though, because I think Raina was um, that sort of, um, that took care of that aspect as far as being the uh, the predator or the person that, you know, you can't trust. And because <clears throat> Bo disappears and she comes back, she's gone, oh, totally in love with this guy, and you don't know him, and blah, 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 and we're not really sure who he is. Um, and so I think there is that too. Yeah, but then he disappears by the end of the epi- the end of the season. Yeah. You know, he's gone. Okay, he was there for the season. It's all about them. Well, I think that's part of what a lot of the season four episodes were trying to show was about. You know, Bo was abducted, and you know she was. Who knows what happened on the train? On the train, yeah. We have many versions to choose from, but. You know, I think that... She met Henry Fitzroy. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. But then when she came back, you know, she didn't have most of her memories, and she, you know, learned quickly that she was dark, and so she had been traumatized, um, and she was mad. And she also sort of just kind of tried to fall back in with all of the gang, um, but they didn't talk about anything that had happened while she was gone, but they also didn't talk about anything that had happened before she was gone. So, you know, you see that in, is it episode 405, Let the Dark Times Not Roll? Let the Dark Times Roll. Let the Dark Times Roll, when, you know, she and Lauren, um, when she and Kenzie are in the bar, and they're, you know, having separate conversations, they're not listening to each other. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So and then, I don't know if it's the same episode. Um, it's the one with Pietra where, um, you know, she and Lauren, Lauren is like, are we going to talk about this now? You want to talk about this now? Um, you know, Karen Beatty, what? You know, mm-hmm. so I think that she tried to fall back into the gang dynamics and recapture what they had without actually addressing any of the problems that had come about, um, you know, at the end of season three. And, uh, you know, while she was gone. And so I think that was why, you know, they, they tried. And it just didn't, it didn't work for them to, you know, be back in their friendship. And I think that that was maybe one of the points that that arc of episodes was trying to make, is that you can't just sweep, you know, all of this trauma and drama under the rug. You have to talk it out. But the problem with talking it out is it doesn't make good television. You know, you, yeah. you need to kill a monster or something. Yeah, and I wanted to get the. I wanted to. Did you have anything you wanted to say, Stephanie? And then I want to get their reactions. But did you? I'm good. Let's, okay, let's do we'll questions go right here. Okay. Um, the last episode, I thought that um, when they put that last little bit of the prophecy or whatever up, how her heart would hit with closed doorway. I was like, no, Kenzie. Did you yeah, know I know. Yeah, was, oh yeah, because right, right. that was predictable. Because I knew it. I knew it when she's like, "Don't tell Bo." I knew it. So, did you guys think that was predictable? Yeah. Well, I thought it was foreshadowing. I thought it was good foreshadowing, but I did. That that is exactly what I thought it meant. Yeah. I don't know. Because but Kenzie might die anyway, but because pale, but. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We've had some good conversations. I know, on the podcast. Um, as you can tell, I'm a big Kenzie fan. Um, don't hide it. Um, and I've watched a lot of genre TV in my life. Um, and I probably should have seen that foreshadowing. And maybe subconsciously I did, but I did not want to mentally go there. No. i got to tell you, that was... No, I mean, no. so that's probably why I didn't see it myself. And, and you know, it's it's. I find it interesting because, you know, as we, we're talking about, some things don't make interesting TV, even though that's what you'd expect with people. And those of us who've seen a lot of that TV are like, oh, this, as you're saying, Carol, there's the foreshadowing, you know, Kenzie and Hale first, and then uh-huh. now she needs to make a sacrifice. 
But I just emotionally, I had the blinders on, like, no, yeah. no, 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 you know. Yeah, because it's like you're getting to the end. It's like you can't think that anything <laughs> bad's going to happen to yeah. that person. So. For me, it was when I when it first was foreshadowing to me was when, I mean, watching it the first time and not actually knowing, um, was when she tore the page out of the book, mm-hmm. kind of furtively, and had that look that, you know, um, so that no one else would find it. Mm-hmm. And she put it away. And at that point, I thought, "Uh oh!" But anyway, uh, did any, what did everybody? Anybody else? No. All I could think of was nothing good is going to come of this. <laughs> I don't like this. That was my my immediate thought. But you know, this is such a, a show about friendship. How are you going to hurt Bo? You're really not going to hurt Bo by taking her lover away. She's a succubus. Her friendship, right. yeah, which is yeah, which, which is what Kenzie's trying to explain to Dyson in that last scene. You know, yeah, she mm-hmm. loves you and she loves Lauren, but I'm her heart. Mm-hmm. She's what keeps she's what keeps Bo human. It's the mm-hmm. friendship. The, what about the, the sisters rest of, you? of another mother? You know that whole thing. Right. What about the rest of you? Did anybody else have? Did they uh, raise your hand if you if you saw the foreshadowing of some sort in that in that episode? Okay. So um, I went right along with Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Now, and that, and that does not. Um, by that, I I don't mean that um, you were okay with it or anything, because I certainly wasn't either. And I got to tell you, I'm doing all these rewatches, you know, prior, prior to Dragon Con, and it ended up. It didn't end up. I had a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't end up that I was supposed to watch them both the same day, but I ended up rewatching the the Lost Girls season four finale and the Being Human series finale oh. on the same day. And I was like, yeah, that was stupid. But, yeah. yeah. I was like, grab me the tissues, would you, honey? Uh, how many antidepressants did you need? <laughs> uh, well, see, I knew it was coming, but anyway. Okay, yes, right here. I would say season four was my least favorite of Lost Girl, only because one of the things that I enjoy about Lost Girl until the season was it was just a fun show. For an hour, it was just really fun. And you had the the intellectual part, the mythology of all these different fae and bringing in all these different supernatural creatures from different cultures. And that was really interesting with always the through story of the friendships and characters and and their relationships. And, of course, Bo's alignment, unalignment. So there was always a through story connecting everything. But in the end, it was a fun show. And this season was just a bunch of storm and drama and, and darkness. And I thought it lost it. And so finding out that next season is going to be the last season, I'm curious as to whether... They'll just do a, a one story for this season or try and take a step back and recover some of the fun and go out on a fun note. What's that? What's that? They're going to go get Yeah. I have a feeling they could really spend a fair amount of time doing, yes. But we are, and we are, for those who haven't seen the, the first, they're breaking into two episode, two eight-episode sets. The first of which will begin airing on December the seventh in Canada. Canada. No announcement from Sci-Fi, but they generally do January premieres. And then the other eight aren't coming till next fall. Well, speaking as a writer, in a weird sense, uh, there's something that I, I pretty much know should happen in season five. I don't know if it will because I haven't. You know, I'm not psychic. I I'm, I have no line with the producers. But from strictly plot mechanics, there have been little uh, hints dropped from the first season that the person Bo is going to have to confront is Lucifer or Satan or whatever you want to call the devil in this series. And the only way she can really confront him is if she has to bring someone back from him. Now, theoretically, Kenzie should go to heaven because she dies sacrificing herself for the greater good. But, you know, this is Lost Girl. It's not going to work that way. So how are you going to create a confrontation with the ultimate evil? Well, you have to put someone you love in their thrall. And so that's my thought, is why they set this up the way they did. very end, 
Tamsin. Tamsin. She goes, I lost her. Like, she somehow, something took it from her before she could get her to Mahalo. And she She got mugged. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because she said she's gone. She's gone. She's gone, yeah. So it almost like, yeah. That's what she said. She didn't go where she wanted. She went the other way. Mm-hmm. But the big concern I have about that, which is a perfect story structure, and it's a selfish Kenzie fan approach, is that makes it sound as if we have to wait all season. I know. To get Kenzie back. I know. I don't want that either. <laughs> I want her in the first episode. Well, you know, I think I may have heard this on one of the Drinks at the Doll podcasts, so I don't think it's an original thought, but, um, well, (laughs) you said, where's my docubus sex? Wait a minute, no. You think that, um, so Kenzie, you know, is missing, and Tamsin was maybe mugged or waylaid, and so where is Kenzie? Obviously, she's not in Valhalla, and the gates are barred to... Tamsin, she's not allowed back in. So the Leviathan in Urkala had said to Bo, I will see you again before she sent her back up to the... Yeah, yeah. Somebody somebody you love is going to die. I'll see you yep. soon. Yeah. Yep. And so... Uh, I'll see you again. Or yep. Yeah. And so uh, somebody, one of you three, drinks at the doll podcasters probably said that. That's, it was, that's a good point, yeah. Do you think the Leviathan is just a stepping stone to Bo's father? Well, definitely, because another thing I heard on this podcast... You guys got to <laughs> Let is, me tell you the good gossip. <laughs> the Leviathan, when she saw Bo with the mark on her chest, she was like, that was supposed to be my mark. Uh-huh. She was mm-hmm. like, you yeah, didn't take right. my mark. Yeah, she so was very upset. Why was he Bo's father? I don't know. I just hope he's sexy. It depends when the Kentucky Derby is. <laughs> he's got to compete in the Triple Crown first. Yeah. She's better have good abs. What can we say? Uh, uh, abs pecking butt. Do you realize, Carol, that I spend Dragon Con making people blush? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I just came from the Being Human panel. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, I don't know why I keep thinking this is on, but yeah. I think they turned it down. It's one of those mics okay. you have to you have to eat, almost eat it yeah. to be able to get heard on it. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure people back there can actually hear what we're saying up here. And I, if you have trouble hearing these folks, we can get them to speak in that direction as well. Now, one of the things that occurred to me while doing the rewatch was... Um, how much I really enjoyed the episode Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. and I think because mm-hmm. it had a little bit more of that humorous tone, yeah. and yet it did still take on. I mean, it covered a lot of things. You know, it was it was showing more of the relationship between Kenzie and Hale. It was showing the the deepening friendship between uh, Dyson and Lauren, and it was um, you know. And it was still furthering a little bit what we were, what they were trying to do in the first place. But I think for me, that was probably the one that, from an enjoyment perspective, I said, "Oh yeah, that was that was fun." And yet, as I said, had more serious elements. Was part of was definitely part of the series. And you you actually need those kinds of episodes, I think, so that you can. Like we were talking about it the other night in the Supernatural panel last night that. You know that show can go down a very dark path. Yeah. Every every several episodes, you got to have one that's a little bit lighter, so that you can kind of alleviate some of that. But I was curious. I'd like to hear from our panelists what some of their favorite season season four episodes were, and then you guys as well. Why did you t- start this one, Erica? <laughs> I was hoping I wouldn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else want to go? I'll go after. <laughs> I really enjoyed Groundhog Fate as well. That's probably my favorite episode. Uh, so a couple others that I really liked. Um, I really liked La Fea Polk. Oh, yeah. 407. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, you know, Bo goes into Dyson's memories. I thought that was a really neat writing structure. And I liked getting to know more about Dyson. But at the same time, they're also exploring Bo and Lauren's relationship. So there was all these layers to the story. And I thought it was really well done. Um, Turn to Stone was another one I really enjoyed. Um, 
for a lot of reasons, I really love that confrontation we got between Bo and Kenzie, where Kenzie's just like, you know, I belong nowhere. I, uh-huh. I don't really belong with you. I thought that was a great scene between the two of them, and kind of a long time coming, I think. So, those were those were some of my favorites. Yeah, the Lafayette puck for me was was just fun, um, story wise, visuals, um, as well. You know, all the costume stuff for Kenzie and and for Lauren. Um, it was kind of fun to see that, and, and it was fun. I got a chance on a sci-fi media called Ask Ksenia and Zoe about that, and they said they had, you know, it was kind of challenge you enjoy for different reasons. So that, you know, again, one of the ones that takes you out of the routine. Well, I might repeat myself, but I love Groundhog Day. So I love Groundhog Day. That's a joke. because, <laughs> <laughs> And I love that movie, too, um, yeah. you know, the Bill Murray one. So then when I saw the name of the episode, I thought, this is going to be good. And, um, you know, so there, you know, it's, there, were, there was a lot of comedy, but also, you know, continuing, like, furthering the story. It let yes. the characters work out some of their issues. Um, you know, and it also, you know, it was just fun. Like, there was a lot to laugh about. I think my second favorite of the season was probably um, Let the Dark Times Roll, because that seemed like when we got, you know, like, Bo was back, Lauren was back, they were back together. That's the one with the quiche, right? That's the quiche. Yeah, okay, I thought so. Yes. The quickish is the <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, and I just, uh, I also liked, um, no, that was a different one. So, those are my two, eight and five. I gotta say, I am stunned that people can remember episode names. Meet Stephanie. Some of them do podcasts, and somebody else who runs the Urban Fantasy Track has a notebook. Yeah, well, I don't do that. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I look at story arcs. Do you remember? Can you tell? Yeah, but I look at at moments. All right, and yes. Now that you mentioned Groundhog Hog Faye, from the, the story, I remember yeah. immediately which the episode that was, and it was a wonderful episode, I will agree. And I loved Hale keeping, keeping, being the one who is sort of outside of it and going, well, maybe this time I'll do it differently. Right, maybe right. this maybe time I'll, I'll do it differently. And I really liked that. And I liked it was Hale that did that. I, mm-hmm. I thought that was good. But I remember moments. And... Uh, I go back to uh, the George Takei episode because I loved, loved, loved Kenzie as a ballroom dancer. Mm-hmm. It, with that 40s hairdo and the makeup, and it's like, whoa. I think she actually is a dancer. She, she is. Yeah. She is. I mean, I just, I, yeah. I just went, whoa. And that was one of my favorite moments. The other favorite moment was, you know, I hate to say it, but Tamsin was always annoying to me in seasons mm-hmm you know, two and three, and to have her have to grow up, and Kenzie, the ostensible juvenile in the cast, having to be the one that raises Tamsin, was just too precious for words. Yeah, calling her Tam Tam. Yeah, Yeah, you don't get out of this one. I, too, don't know episode names, so that's why I actually didn't want to go first. (laughs) Secrets out. Um, <laughs> I really liked when the Morgan lost all of her power. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the Morgan. And, um, especially loved all of the, um, there are any kids in here, right? Scissoring references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that was funny. Was what is that I feel? Like? There's something crawling on my nose. What is that? Yes. Yeah, you got a niche. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, there's that. Just, what about you guys? Anybody have a, anything that hasn't already been mentioned? Do you have, was there a particular scene or, or episode? If, even if you don't know the name, if you just remember what happened. Yes. The part that we find out that Mossimo is the Morrigan's son. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was especially disturbing after we'd already seen earlier in the same episode or the episode like, before when she kissed him on the mouth for, you know, a significant yeah. period yeah. of time. So. <laughs> That was yeah, that got a little bit. <laughs> 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 He's a mama's boy, but she doesn't treat him right. And yet, um, Vex treats him as his son. He loves him. He protected him. And yet, Mosmo still went to her when mm-hmm. she wanted to. Mm-hmm. And it really highlighted the, Vex's dependency upon the Morrigan, you know? That she could tell him to do this thing that was so difficult for him. 
and, in, and engaged his emotions. And Vex does not like his emotions engaged. I mean, being the mascara buddy is friendship. It doesn't entail responsibility in the same way that having to raise a a sociopathic child <laughs> entails responsibility. And yet, you know, basically everybody's discomfort level and oh yeah that was just so sick oh yeah. but that's good but you know sick is good, <laughs> sick is good. <laughs> oh, yes i didn't have a favorite episode but my favorite scene of the season was when kenzie uh begged Bo to release her because that was heartbreaking to watch yeah, yeah it was when kenzie what i'm sorry Astro, I'm, kenzie, I'm oh yeah yeah no, that was that was yeah well, you know, for those of you who were in the cast panel today, I made the comment that that I thought when she was when when Ksenia was talking about the scene where Hale died, mm-hmm. and I made the I made the comment that that was actually the most shocking thing that I'd seen on television. All year. I mean, that was the one scene that when I saw it, I was just like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't any more pleasant the second time in the rewatch. But when I saw that, I. I, I should have seen it coming. Now that was one that I didn't pick up on because there were I little there were little seeds dropped along the way. Mm-hmm. We, we have did. all the time, you know. We, we have this the time. Treat the little twig of Zamora. Yeah. Right. I mean, we saw her like in the previous season give that some muscle, or was it the beginning of the season? I don't remember. We don't actually see it, but yeah. she mentions she says in she... Turn to Stone that she gave it to yeah. him as payment for her power. Right. Mm-hmm. So we should have we should have known, but. But still, I, I mean, it, it was just a. I think partly, I think there were a couple of reasons for it, but I, I think it was such a visceral thing. I mean, there are not too many ways that much of anybody is going to survive a sword being jammed all the way through their body. You know, it's not like you just got you in the side, but I mean, it was right through the heart. You know, I mean, it was just, ugh. Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, part, part of why, for me, the. And for the most part, in this conversation, and a lot of folks, you know, season four, as you mentioned, wasn't your favorite. I think that's true for a lot of folks uh, as a whole. And while none of us are comfortable losing characters that we love, it does make us appreciate just how good the show is by the impact it has on us. So much as I love that season one fun and the, the, the fay of the week and the stuff like that, to, to be able to watch as much TV you know, as I have, and have a show impact me that much. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, probably not since since Buffy has a has a character death on TV. You know, turned me into an effing mess like I was after that. <laughs> so I got to give him a lot of credit. I hate him, but I got to give him a lot of credit. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. appreciate what you got. The, the funny thing is, uh, some of the great scenes and some of the great you know TV moments or movie moments are the ones you don't want to watch again, the ones that you will run away rather than watching again. And a lot of the season had extreme discomfort. I think that if Vex and the Morgan weren't so inherently comic, the whole Massimo storyline would be impossible to watch. Because, yeah, it is really sick. Yeah, you know, the thing about Massimo is that... um. I think he was a villain who really kind of made me uncomfortable. And I like to watch the scenes, especially in the early part of the season when he comes over to Kenzie's apartment and, you know, she's behind on paying him for her pixie dust testicular powder or whatever it was. (laughs) And, um, you know, like he was getting very assaulty with her and, you know, like implying that she could sleep with him to pay off her debt. And then, in in the scene where he is just beating her up, you know, and oh, then, oh, that, was, that was really, really hard for me to watch. It was hard for me to watch Hale get killed, but it was, like, difficult for me to watch Kenzie getting brutally beaten like that. Well, I think the whole scene, I mean, I Ugh. think that whole thing is what I'm referring the to. Entire sequence, a, yeah, yeah. The entire sequence. Yeah, just that whole... From the time that he surprised her when she went to the refrigerator. And then, you know, just, yeah, I mean, and and again, I think it goes back to part of it being that whole visceral thing that it was just so in your face and they didn't, you know, 
there were no punches being pulled in that, you know. He was it, super it was, creepy, though. Like, he, the acting was really good yeah. Oh, yeah, because of excellent. the creepiness factor big time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that kind of after he swallowed the Unamen seed and, you know, went a little crazy and started cackling a lot, he lost <laughs> a lot of, like, the creepiness factor for me because he seemed just kind of a little insane. But, um, you know, it was it was great acting because, you know, it really, like, kind of pushed my, my buttons. Aww. I will say, speaking of buttons, too, I don't know who else in the room loves his shirts as much as I do. <laughs> but, you know, I love them. Does anybody else love his Paisley shirts? Thank you, Cindy! Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. I didn't even think about it. I was going to cosplay, but I couldn't find the right one. Well, Nobody else. It's just me and Cindy. <laughs> Sorry. All right. I'd like to get everybody's reaction to is that this is the one thing that. Well, I mean, yeah, there were a number of things that maybe made this made it so this season wasn't necessarily my favorite, but I don't really look at it that way. But the one problem that I had with this season was that Lauren tells Bo at the end of whatever episode it was. That, Four or five. You know, <laughs> that we're not going to see each other. I mean, I'm. You know, we can't see each other anymore. Blah blah blah. You know, she's doing all that, and you know, poor Bo's heartbroken. And then, all of a sudden, it, se- well, it seemed like all of a sudden, a few episodes later, all you know, she she. It, there didn't seem to be any gradual progression back. And what she says in the finale is, well, I was doing this all for you. I had to say this to you and make you feel as though, um, you know, we were over so you would believe it. But I, I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy that whole, that whole idea of, well, uh, suddenly she's cutting her, you know, completely off and saying, you know, I, I'm doing this now and you're not part of it. Maybe I'll see you around or whatever it was she said. And then, you know, a few episodes later, she and Dyson are discussing how it's the woman they both love, you know, this kind of thing. So to me, that just didn't really ring true, and I'm just wondering how the rest of you felt. I agree, and um, I mean, I've never been a Lauren fan. Sorry. But um, I always felt like she's wishy-washy. She's always doing things, and she's saying something and doing something different, you know. Yeah. And I just feel like she's always been that way, and that's perfectly exemplified by what you just said. So just annoy the crap out of me. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I can see everybody's point on that, but I, oh, I got the feeling all this season, and this is one of the things that makes it so unsettling for me, that there's five minutes of film time that we are missing, and I know that's much more than the 90 seconds that's actually cut out. I feel like I'm missing five minutes of script time, on almost every episode, except the uh, George uh, uh, Takei and the uh, Groundhog Fit. Well, my rewatch was done on the DVD, and I still had the same reaction. <laughs> and I feel like yeah. I'm missing script. Like that one episode when Lauren was locked up, well, where did that come from? Right. How did she get there? How did she get out? I, I, you know, it was just like... Well, we weren't supposed to know how she, how she got out. That would have kind of... Yeah, but I mean, I always felt like I was missing something, and I would watch them a second time, and I wouldn't come any closer, you know? I understood the mechanics better, but... Are we missing something that's going to come in season five? You know? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, as far as Lauren's storyline in season four went, you know, when I look at the season as a whole, I kind of... I think she was under cover she was under deep cover and you know i take her at her word she was doing it all for Bo. she was also under the sheets for a period of time too wasn't she but we don't like to talk about that with annie in the room yeah she Um, she did get she got a lot more action this season yeah Yeah. she did no but i just kind of taking the season as a whole i believe that you know she was she had decided that the way that she could help Bo was to infiltrate the dark it had to be believable to Bo, so Bo wouldn't blow her cover. So, you know, she had to make Bo believe it. And, you know, I think that when she was around Dyson, you know, she could kind of, like, let a little bit of her cover slip because he wasn't probably going to betray her to the Morrigan. No, you know, and she needed to vent probably some, some stress, but... You know, she she needed access to the dark archives, and uh, 
you know, to figure out whatever. She needed to be able to eavesdrop on the Morrigan and, you know, talk to the dark archivist who could get a copy of whatever. Oh, that was weird. That Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. Just, and he knew Bo's contact right off the top of his head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here it is. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, when I saw that that part with Lauren, I actually, much like you're saying, as far as missing scenes, I kind of thought, that's a little off. Okay, I guess they're going to fill us in on that later. Which and part? Just you mean when she, when she Yeah, like she wasn't, you know, she was... Kidnapped. Yeah. Well, no, more more or less when Lauren was, like, breaking up with Bo and, and all that bit, I felt there was more coming. Well, she didn't really break up with her because Bo is basically like, everything's going to go back to normal now, right? And Laura's like, Lauren says, no, actually not. I'm going to stay with the dark. And it was really Bo who was kind of like, whoa, and then leaves the room. Um, so I feel like she did try to purposely create some distance there. But it was also sort of, I think, Bo just gut reacting. Like, Bo was, her life was just out of control in the first part of the season. She couldn't remember what happened to her. You know, she was dark and she didn't know why. And she was just grasping for normalcy, which is why, like we mentioned, somebody mentioned they were trying to, like, slide back into the normal relationships without really talking about it. And so when Lauren wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going you know, to trot back over to the light now, I think that really, you know, threw Bo for a loop. I called her blow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, both said she'd claim her too. But you know, in the next yeah, episode, like, in, in, in of all the gin joints, when Kinsey comes over, Lauren's all like, "How's Bo doing?" You know, I like I I don't know. I I feel like um yeah, Lauren did try to definitely, and she says later tries to create some distance there. But I didn't think it was this like harsh breakup the way that it's that some other people kind of interpreted the scene. So I guess that's where she I come made it sound that way from it to me. It's, it felt to me like she was. Lauren was acting like she was being listened to. It was kind of like Taft, where she was putting on the face, where she was mm-hmm. had to get Bo to believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like to me. And, and I didn't think that it was like she was breaking up with her. She was kind of... Well, there was some truth in what she said. I mean, you can't Lauren's really good at that. Good she's good at, she's good at saying but enough truth things to kind of hide that she's... see you around. Fooling. Right. You know, that was just... That was not like her, which she would normally have been if they had just been alone talking about it. It just felt to me like her whole speech, except for the fact, like I said, there was a lot of truth in what she said. Um, it felt like she was just thought she was being overheard, and she still had this plan in the works, and whoever might be listening, she didn't want them to know the whole details. And she had to have Bo believe it, just like Taft would tap. That's what it felt like to me. Okay, well, I... And I can understand that part of it, but I guess my whole problem is it just, the I think the way that they handled it, not necessarily so much in that scene, whether it was a pretend breakup or a breakup at all or whatever the case may be, I just didn't think that the follow-up to it, it didn't, it, I think it should have been done more gradually, that she should have let on how she really felt rather than, it, you know, all of a sudden she's talking, she's, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. That's exactly kind of what I'm saying is that if, yeah, perhaps they need, they always need to talk. I mean, that's the bottom line. There's so much unspoken there. But why would she do that if she felt like she was trying to get this plan in, you know, to in the works and felt like someone who might know about this would be listening? Why would she go into a discussion about it? Just like with Taft, she couldn't. I think it was pretty clear, but maybe not, because I hear... Well, they had, sometimes different people see a different show as when I watch it, but it seemed clear that she was trying to protect Bo by pushing her away, and of course she's not going to go into a discussion and tell said If her intentions were good, she's not going to, at that point, go into a discussion of why she's doing what she's doing if she thinks... Someone is listening. That's my point. And they also had a bad habit in like season three and four of off screen, a lot of stuff that should have been on screen discussed because, especially like the Norn episode, just ends. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so and so told me last week, but we never, we, we were not necessarily privy to the conversation. But at, for some reason, that that whole, that just that particular part of it just bothered me. And, I, and yeah, it bothered me the second time I watched it, too. I think I think that throughout Lost Girl, you can, you can pick out a 
bunch of examples of that. And I was telling Stephanie the other day, I was saying, I would love to have a panel where we put the Lost Girl writers up here. <laughs> and we say, hey, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> what did you mean? Come after, the, after the finale. Oh, that would be great. Let's invite them to Dragon Con next year. I, I would I will say that in regards to Lauren's storyline, like I don't personally I, I the relationship part of it I kind of get, but like Lauren or Lauren's big plan in regards to the Morrigan, I feel like we don't really know what her end game was. That's the piece that I personally feel is missing. Because clearly yeah. she, <laughs> she started her this plan in the sixth episode when she takes the this you know the saliva or whatever she got from the Morrigan when she kissed her and she says it you know you know. To the beginning, or whatever it is when she cheers. Yeah, when we started. Um, to the beginning. I thank you. I'm, I can't I mix up the one with the tricks. It's starting line, and so she started it really early. Doesn't actually, uh, you know, do anything about it until episode twelve, and supposedly because oh, the Morgan threatens Bo, but that you know, Morgan's always threatening Bo. <laughs> it's what so, she does. I don't know because like she's very good. At it. Yeah, like I kind of wonder if she, if somehow she had some sort of plan to get, like, Bo unaligned, like, to unalign her with the dark if it's, she had some sort of plan in that. So that's the piece that I think is really missing from Lauren's storyline, is, like, why she concocted this fairly elaborate plan (laughs) and did what she did to the Morrigan. Well, don't you think that Lauren, in her own much more subdued way, is feeling the same way that Kenzie does? Because here are the two totally human characters, and they are always the victim. And could Lauren be, you know, grabbing power so that she can be on equal footing with these people? Permanently. Or bring them down to her level. Well, she's yeah. trying to protect herself. I mean, you want, yeah. don't you have something against Ebony? Just to kind of protect herself. I think the first part where we saw her peel the thing from her lips and she was obviously collecting DNA is exactly what you're saying there. She wanted to... Uh, Level the playing field. Right, it was like a because yeah. she had some scary things coming up against her. I think what what um, caused her to go into her plan with the Morgan was while I agree with you, it's not entirely a logical step, but I believe it was prompted by overhearing the Morgan so clearly saying, "We have to kill her." Well, that's why she did what she did in Origin, but she'd been planning to do that well before that. I know, but what I'm saying is the planning earlier on, Mm -hmm. when we saw the thing, she kissed the Morgan, and she was doing the research, getting DNA. I think that was just a thing to protect herself. Like like you were saying, the humans were really in in danger, and she wanted to make sure that she perhaps had a playing card if something came into the fallback plan. In other words, plan B, the trump card. Doing it with the Morgan, I believe, was overhearing the conversation. Where the Morgan? Well, yeah, but, but not that beginning part. And you're right. Yeah, she's always being threatened. You know, Bo's always being threatened by the Morgan. So there's a little bit of a leap there. But the whole, a lot of what they said, they ended up with Lauren saying that she, everything she did was for Bo. I think that's that was part of that. And maybe there was a little leap there in logic. I get that because you're right. Morgan was always threatening Bo. Well, we have one more comment or question over here in the back. I actually think that uh, the way that they did Lauren was like brilliant because she's like the exact opposite of Kenzie. Kenzie goes out of her way to try to get fake powers, but Laura's like, no, I'm bringing them to me. Because once the Morrigan was human, I mean, she comped her really good. <laughs> like building up to that, she's just like, she's like, if they're here when they don't have all these other superpowers, I can take them. We can take them. Like, us humans, we can handle this. So, I love Lauren, which terrifies me. <laughs> I think she, like, with this whole making the fake humans, I think she just became the next big bad. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't like Lauren, and I like the opposite of you. <laughs> but she's not a regular human. Like, she has no... Fae powers, but she's got some mad superpowers for a human. She has mad skills. Yeah, yeah. mad skills. Yeah. Mad doctor skills. Okay, we're going to do our door prize. First, let's thank our panelists for being here. Would you please? Thanks to all of you. Yeah, you've been a great, you've been a great audience. Yes. Thank you.
thank you to everybody who was at DragonCon, who attended the fan panel. We really appreciated your being there and your participation. Again, we are doing planning to do an episode in which we talk about basically all of the Lost Girl stuff that happened at DragonCon, including the fan panel and meetup, the cast panels, interactions that we had with Ksenia, Rick, and Emmanuel. We're going to talk about all of that stuff in an upcoming episode that should be out next week, episode 66 of the podcast. If you had any great stories from DragonCon interacting with Rick, Ksenia, Emmanuel, or even just interacting with other Lost Girl fans, we'd love if you shared them with us. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksofthedoll.com, or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab over at drinksofthedoll.com. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks with the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.